HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, bringing you the latest in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is Episode 10. Next to agriculture, craft and the work of artisans is the second largest employer in the developing world, providing livelihoods for hundreds of thousands of people, mostly women. In addition to providing beauty, craft connects communities and culture. Think Javanese batikers and Kenyan beaters, often creating pieces that have zero carbon footprint, but are still beautiful. And increasingly under the threat of the modern age and machination, some communities are becoming endangered. For example, the Varanasi region in India, home of luxurious handcrafted brocades and silks. Until a decade ago, the region provided work and income for over 100,000 handloom weavers. But given competition from urban centers, factory jobs, even power looms, current estimates see those numbers dwindling to about 40,000. Can we save craft? What role can commerce play and how can our consumer decisions make an impact? I've invited Jennifer Gutman in to discuss. Jennifer is the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for Williams-Sonoma, overseeing social labor compliance and programming across brands like Pottery Barn, Pottery Barn Kids, Mark and Graham, Rejuvenation, and West Elm. Within West Elm, she's also the VP of Social Consciousness and Innovation. And West Elm is committed to Design to Impact, focusing on five key areas, sustainably sourced, fair trade certified, organic, local, and handcrafted. And currently, 20% of their produced offerings are made by hand. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Great to be here. So nice to see you. So let's start with that. Why is West Elm so so committed to handcraft? Great. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's exciting to be part of a company, West Elm, the home retailer that really is one of the largest purchasers of craft at scale. And it's a journey that's been going on within the company for quite some time now. So it's not something new that we've done, um, that we're talking about it much more, you know, publicly now. But it really started in 2008, 2009, when... 
our design team was introduced to artisan groups through the nonprofit at the time, Aid to Artisans, um, and started collaborating with them to bring differentiated product into the stores. And then when our current president of West Elm, the brand, Jim Brett, joined in 2010, he saw this real opportunity to bring West Elm from a, you know, a home store to a lifestyle brand. And he saw these collaborations that the design group was doing with artisan groups around the world as key to that. It was a way to you know uh, use these traditional techniques to bring something differentiated into the store, to create employment in areas that are underserved, to bring something very unique and different to our customer base, um, and elevate the craft to be part of the standard assortments. That was really... 2008, 2009, we started working with groups. In 2010, he saw the power of this um, scaling the the craft movement within West Elm to really, you know, fit within the whole brand promise. And um, by 2013, we uh, had been working with over 20 groups in 15 countries, employing thousands of artisans around the world, and decided to really go public with this commitment to make 20% of our assortment handcrafted. We continue that commitment today um, and all of the things that go around it, um, you know, integrating it into our design process, building the capacity of artisan businesses, and then communicating that to our customers. And it's a little antithetical to what, what happens in the marketplace with, with some brands, right? Like that, that look and that feel and that kind of that sensibility of design is aspired to, but then a lot of brands will just design it in-house or make it in-house. And so, so that must have been a challenge for them to decide to partner with artisans and to actually go out in the field. Do you, I know it kind of predated your time there, but mm-hmm. do, you have any, do you have any kind of experience that, that West Elm went through or things, systems that they developed in order to kind of make that pave the way so now 20% of the product does come mm-hmm. from artisans? Yeah, well, I think it's um, really about being also responsive to the traditional technique or materials that are offered. In many ways, it's a collaboration. I mean, at the West Elm brand, 90% of our products are designed in-house, but you know, often it builds off of the materials, capabilities, or expertise of our vendors across the board, and artisans are no different. So um, you know, it would be looking at a traditional weaving technique from the Philippines in basketry, but you know, integrating it into a concept for a particular season within West Elm and to the taste of our customer. And I think that's why we've been successful in the movement is that it's integrated. So rather than having artisanal product that sits aside from our standard assortment, um, it fits within, it's woven within the, the general assortment. And so, you know, a customer might buy something because they know the history behind it. They may know that it's, you know, a, a hand-thrown vase from the Chulacanas region of Peru that's blackened with mango leaves and you know not glazed, or they may just think it's a really beautiful vase and not know the story. So that's kind of the goal is that it's embedded in the assortment and you can choose to learn more, um, but ultimately it is driving that opportunity for artisans on the ground. So beauty leads, right? So beauty when you leads. walk into West Elm, you're looking at beautiful things and then it's up to the consumer to turn it upside down, which is what we say on Magnifico Radio anyway. It's up to the consumer to look at the tag or to actually delve a little bit deeper. Um, supply chain transparency is a really big focus, both across home and um, fashion and apparel right now. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to, to have transparency when you're working with so many artisan groups? Like, what does, How does the traditional audit model work in craft communities? Well, it doesn't. So, um, so that was, you know, an interesting development. When I first started at West Elm, um, we'd made a large public commitment to scaling our sourcing of, of craft and really building the sector. Um, and when I started to think about, you know, what are some of the impediments to 
having craft in other places. It really is around that transparency piece. So, you know, I think the amazing thing about artisanal production is that it's not in a centralized factory, so it can support communities where they live. So women can stay at home and care for the kids, but also have additional income. It creates employment in rural areas that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have any opportunity uh, for any kind of economic income. Um, So it's a really significant in terms of kind of that lifeline into rural communities and keeping everyone from having to migrate to urban centers where they're living in slums and, you know, working in in subpar conditions. So um, the traditional audit space um, is also very flawed. So I think what you see today is that um, it's basically self-regulated. So most retailers have their own code of conduct and audit to that. So vendors are forced to be audited over and over and over on basically the same principles. So there's a lot of movement going on in that traditional space that's really interesting about you know, how do you kind of integrate to develop one standard so that those resources can be spent more in terms of improving the conditions. Exactly. Um, and for those that don't know that, in certain codes of conduct, that might call for a, a fire extinguisher two feet from the door by one um, retailer. Retailer, but it might want the fire extinguisher three feet from the door by another retailer. So we're having this kind of overlap of, of processes that maybe is not the best use of resources. So. Exactly. And, you know, what we saw in the artisan space um, is that there was no universal standard for a code of conduct. So in a sense, the work that we've been doing, um, and we were lucky enough to meet and pair with the nonprofit that's based in New York called Nest that um, focuses on building the capacity of artisan businesses. And they had uh, assessment that they used for groups that they worked with. And so for the past three years, I've been piloting with them a model. Um, we call it the Artisan Advancement Project, um, really to look at what should be the conditions in a home-based or decentralized production environment. How do we have transparency? We know the strength of the partners that we work with. Those are relationships built on trust. You know, We have our compliance program. But how do we really look to this non-factory production and validate it and say, we recognize that things are happening in small workshops and we think that this is an important part of global supply chains and it's an important way of providing income to people who might otherwise be left out. And so does that mean that certain you only work with artisans at a certain level? Like, does there need to be some sort of artisanal infrastructure in place? Or, or like, are you working with small and large groups? At West Elm, we work with both small and large groups, but any... Uh, group that is at the level of working with West Elm would have to have export capability, be sophisticated to a certain degree, um, you know, no testing protocols and shipping protocols. One of the big challenges in my work, because we're such a large retailer, is that our artisan businesses are subject to the same shipping and testing and quality standards that other vendors might you know, be subject to, but the conditions and the realities on the ground are totally different. So, for example, you know, in a lot of the geographies in Haiti, there may not be the proper packaging materials um, that pass the code of our packaging engineers. So we're constantly kind of negotiating those differences. One thing we've done for the past two years is hold a vendor summit at West Elm, where we have our artisan vendors come together and presentations from our design team and our sourcing team. I have our packaging engineers come. I have our shipping and logistics teams come to really help them think about how we can better serve them, how we can find that middle ground of a smaller scale supplier and a large company. And does that increase their capacity overall? Because once they figure it out with you, who's like a a kind of a warm warm partner, then they can also go on and make relationships with other big retailers and department stores? Absolutely. That's the goal, is that it 
would be this shared resource and that you know, you're helping build their capacity to work with a larger scale buyer and provide the transparency that those buyers would also require. Right. And so are you measuring impact? Like, do you know from, from, from your work? Is it something that you see, or is it something that is actually measured on paper? The impact on the owners and communities. You know, we can measure. We can measure purchases. We can measure income. We can measure number of artisans impacted. Um, you know, but I, what I found most powerful in terms of impact um, are some of the anecdotal stories. So, you know, a lot of times. Um, you know, you think, okay, you want to create sustained business. And that's what we've committed to. We've committed to three- to five-year partnerships. We try to extend that significantly longer. As I said, a lot of our artisan groups we started working with in 2009 are still working with. But even one order can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So um, last year we had six beaded pouches from Guatemala. They're made by... Uh, beaters in the regions around Lake Atitlan. We have some really beautiful pillows this season. Actually, they're works of art that you should see that's a collaboration with a textiles designer, Allison Fox, in store now. But last year, six pil- six pouches. Um, and it, so it was one order from this artisan group and um, heard from the vendor that one of the artisans had used the income to build a latrine. So, you know, clear, clear public health and, you know, family health implications. One had built a new roof on her house. And another used it to hire labor to work the fields, and her children went back to school. So I think you can't underestimate the impact that even a small amount of income or one order can make in a community in really raising their standard of living and um, creating change at that community level. That's so true, and that's so amazing. So you're in 15 countries. So which ones, which ones have you been in the longest, and which ones are kind of like newly on board? Yeah, um, well... India is a hub of craft, um, you know, a long craft tradition, and it's one of our largest sourcing um, geographies for artisanal product. The Philippines as well. We've been in Haiti since 2009, Guatemala and Peru. I think um, we started working there in 2012, 2013, around there. Um, You know, we're bringing more... um, from Indonesia into the assortment, looking towards kind of Africa and Mexico and, and what uh, we might be able to add there. Whenever we evaluate a new artisan group, we really think about, um, is this going to interfere with the business from an existing group? Because as much as possible, we try to keep those vendors full. So it's you know design and development and uh, constantly kind of reinventing the materials or techniques that they have that are available. That's amazing. And when consumers go into a West Elm store, which they can do in Canada, the U.S., the U.K., I think you're in as well. Mm-hmm. Australia and Aust- Emirates. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And so how Mexico. do they... Oh, okay. So how do they identify these artisan products? Is it on the bottom of the product? Are you using hand tags? or There should the- be hang tags on most um, that have our handcrafted iconography. There's stickers on many. Um, if it's a kind of collection, then we'll have signage and information about it. And so part of my job is, you know, not only to work directly with the artisans and the businesses and, you know, think how we improve that and think about kind of the industry and this broader structure and how do we create these standards, but then also getting those stories, collecting them and bringing those messages to our team so that they appear in stores and eventually to customers. So they'd see it tagged like that. Amazing. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come right back. Great. And this one's called Relax, It's Just the End of the World by Taxstar. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sourchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin make this gorgeous Alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sourchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sourchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black. And today we're talking about craft and commerce with Jennifer Gutman from West Elm. And I've known you for quite a while now, and you're one of the hardest working women I know. The fact that you carry these two VP titles kind of says it. But you're also, you possess this really interesting um, characteristic, because I find you both right-brained and left-brained. Not too many people know that you went to Harvard, and then you went on to do your MBA at NYU Stern. Um, but you also have this very um, discerning eye. So I remember one time after a trip to Guatemala, I brought you a bag that I had um, engaged with when I was there, and it was hand-woven from plastic bags, and you took one look at it and you said, oh, shame about the zipper. And it was like just this moment and designers listening know that you just have like designers know when there's something a little off. So can you talk about how your eye and your eye for design play into your role? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's all about the details there. So, you, you know, if you're designing any product, you have to take care of the details. Um, but I mean, I think in many ways, you know, what, what I'm doing right now at West Elm is my dream job. And um created it within uh, the company, and um, I think it, it is this culmination of sort of the path that I've been on. I've um, always had aesthetic inclinations. I've made jewelry since I can, you know, have any awareness of myself and wore it even longer. Um, and that was always a really important piece of me, um, but it was totally separate from the, the work that I did. Um, my whole career before West Elm was in the nonprofit sector um, and then decided to go back and, and get an MBA and, you know, really was looking for something that could integrate that um, desire to make a positive impact on the world, the sort of inclination to business minded and then the creative side. So um, I never could have anticipated how much of a fit it would feel. But I think being able to kind of bring that design and aesthetic um, and the business sensibility into something that's mission oriented is um, exactly the kind of juncture that I was looking for there. So um, as you said before, and with our, you know, design to impact, it beauty comes first. And, um, you know, it would just be a charitable endeavor if we were just trying to bring product as it was and sell it here. And you wouldn't uh, create an actual market that's going to be sustained over the long term and in, it actually improve the lives of artisans on the ground. So I think that it has to be that pull or that demand from the aesthetic side. And that's what people always say, right? Like, it has to be beautiful. People have to buy it for for the look itself before they get the impact and kind of what else the, the consumer dollar has done. So I'm sure, given your tutelage and your history, that this is going to be highly successful. So what are the plans for, for West Elm for the future? Well, thank you. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, what's been interesting to see is 
um, really the work that I run at West Elm, our social consciousness and innovation, started with craft. It was um, around our artisanal production, how do we scale it, how do we grow the sector, and we've made amazing progress with that. Um, and it also kind of introduced us into this path to thinking about other initiatives. So as we talk about artisanal production, which is 20% of our assortment, how do we start to talk about the other 80%, which is you know industrial or more traditional production, and really also connect customers to the fact that people are making those products as well. So you know how do we uh, raise the face of the worker in the, in the work that we do? Um, and so another key initiative that I've been spearheading there is around our work with Fair Trade. So we work with the nonprofit Fair Trade USA to bring their Fair Trade certification program that you might have heard about in chocolate and in coffee into a factory. So what does that look like in a factory? We pay a premium that goes back to a worker fund and uh, elected committee of workers with some management representation decide how to collectively spend that money to improve their communities and their lives. So it's this amazing transformational program around labor, more to workers, um, and improving kind of visibility on both sides of the supply chain. That's another area we've made some big commitments around. 20% of our assortment um, will be certified in 2017 and 40% in 2019. So that's wow. exciting. And really also, exciting. is it still marked? Is it marked certified? It is marked. It's labeled Fair Trade certified. Fantastic. So, okay. um, so all of the handcrafted work, sustainably sourced, organic, fair trade, we uh, released an icon system, and you should see that all marked in stores. So Amazing. And so let's just talk about, because the, the holidays are coming up and people are starting to make holiday decisions and, and trying to maybe be a little bit more thoughtful about how they're spending. How can somebody tell whether it's an artisan-made product outside of West Elm, like just generically? How can somebody tell that it, whether it's a knockoff and, and it's actually been produced in mass or whether it's actually handcrafted. Do you have any tips on how to really like look for the mark of the hand? Well, I think if things look variable, if it's, you know, if not everyone is identical, if there's a little quirk to it, I think it's also working through established retailers or reputable retailers. I mean, I think we're at this interesting moment where, you know, sometimes if you look at the scale of global issues, you feel like you don't have any power in it. Um, but that's actually not true. Um, big, big change happens by lots of little small changes happening. That's my kind of philosophy on things. So, um, you know, I think learn about the products that you're buying. Look for labels like that or third-party certifications, too, um, that validate the, you know, claims that retailers are making. Um, research the retailers themselves and, you know, the stories that they share. You can always write stores, too. I mean, we get lots of inquiries and answer as much as I can around that. Oh, that's so amazing. And it's true. And I think that there's not a lot of home, there's not a lot of home retailers that are kind of offering this for consumers. We talk a lot about fashion. Um, we've been talking a bit about beauty this season, but we, you're my first sustainable living um, expert. Great. So, so it's not, it's true. There's not a lot of home offerings, but that's where consumers can put their dollars in order to make, make change and, and foster change. Um, so what was my last question? Oh, I wanted to talk to you about the holiday collection. I saw this collaboration that you did with Whole Foods with upcycled denim. Can you talk about, A, bringing yourselves together? Because I think that's kind of a, sure. an interesting marriage. And then what that collection is, because that's going to be available for holiday, right? Yep. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, it's really about shared values. I mean, we look for companies that have shared values with us at 
One of the things I also love about West Elm is the collaboration and partnership. So we've always had design collaborations with different designers. Um, you know, in my work, I do a lot of collaboration with nonprofits. So I'm working with non the Nest, which is a nonprofit, working with Women's World Banking to do a financial needs assessment and factories. So really, how do we take it to the next level in terms of collaboration and partnership? The collaboration with Whole Foods is about a like-minded brand. We wanted to create a product line together. Um, and we thought it would be great to do it in one of the geographies that you know really makes an impact. And found this amazing project in Guatemala, the New Denim Project. It's a family-run business. They take the leftovers from gene production and then in a chemical-free process grind it back down into shoddy, mix it with some virgin cotton and re-spin it into thread so it's all upcycled denim scraps that would otherwise be um, you know, going to a landfill that are made, given a new life in product. Um, so it's really actually an area that I see ripe for exploration. Um, also at West Elm we're making a lot of commitments around raw materials. Um, all of our 100% cotton bedding is going to be organic by spring 17. We're really transitioning largely to organic embedding. Um, we're transitioning into recycled polyester that's made from up, you know, upcycled uh, plastic bottles. So how do we really bring those values into the core business? And you've been recycling does? your rugs for ages, right? We've been recycling some rugs, yeah. Okay, so, so, um, so what's in the collection then? It's um, oven, mitts, oven mitts, table runner, uh, placemats, napkins. It's been very well received. Um, you know, the business is thrilled with the way that it's been performing. They're so sustainable that they're even the excess from the factory they use as fertilizer at a coffee farm. So we have some amazing videos actually on our YouTube about the project where you hear um, the father-daughter team who run it speak about it as well. So we just thought it was this great way to connect two brands around their shared value and create something for the home that is relevant for both of our customers, but really espouses the values that both of us have as brands. And where can people buy it? At Whole Foods and at you? At Whole Foods and at West Elm stores and online. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so we still have a little bit of time, so I want to also talk about the local and, and your local shops, because I think when we talk about craft and we talk about supporting artists, and um, often we're looking over there. And, and that's not to say that that's not where the focus should be. And there's some, some amazing, as we've talked about, artists and groups around the world. But sometimes that also puts a blinder on local and local craftspeople. So West Elm has a solution for that as well. Can you talk a little bit about about the local offerings? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, you know, not my area. It's run by a colleague, but uh, really familiar. We collaborate a lot. And I'll, I'll tell you an example of one collaboration. But um, but we are, you know, I think it's just an amazing program also because of the scale. So we have locally curated assortment in all of our stores. Um, and that is managed by our store managers. So they find local artisans and we carry an assortment of that product in every West Elm store that you go into, you will find work of local artisans. And if those are successful, then we can offer it in multiple stores. And if that's successful, you could do a cross-brand partnership. Um, and so the pillows uh, from Guatemala that I was talking about before, that actually came out of kind of a best of local. So it's a textile designer, Allison Fox. Um, we paired her as a collaborator with our, our beaters in Guatemala to create these amazing pillows that um, have over 30,000 seed beads. And they are made on looms that are built from combs. So they take combs, they put them on a two-by-four. Yes, okay. hair combs. Um, and use it for um, the warp and then, you know, 
bead on that. So, um, you know, it's this amazing low tech to create this absolutely beautiful work of art. Um, and it was a collaboration for a local designer with an international group. So, you know, I think that there's some really interesting combinations like that that we can do in the future, but we absolutely as a brand are thinking about how do we bring it local to the U.S.? How do we serve the communities where our stores are um, and where we're based as well? That's so amazing. And it's just so multifaceted because it really kind of, um, it just, yeah, it's, I love it. Okay. And so what's the, what's the future? What's, what are you going to be doing this time next year? Uh, so I think the future, and I think um, just personally, um, I think when we think about the U.S. and our and job creation here and, and future economy, um, you know, I would love to see how some of those artisanal or cooperative models that have become so kind of standard in international communities maybe be brought back here as a form of economic development and reaching rural areas that are underserved. And um, I also think that, you know, we could become a leader in the circular economy, kind of keeping the raw materials that are in our products in the production loop and how do we kind of re-envision products today to become products again in the future maybe something a little bit different so um i don't know if that's too kind of vague and open-ended no, actually you, but, no i yeah. love that and and now you've you've um tweaked my interest so can you think of an artisan group because i'm not so familiar with the u.s geography like i can think of in in canada we have native artists well, there's alabama channon um okay. that um is doing work with patagonia on the scarves and repurposing the scarves in alabama um and i've i've come into contact there's um, an amazing group called southwest creations um on the west coast that uh is more cut and sew industrial but they're smaller groups around but i think that that's really an opportunity for development and thinking about um besides large scale manufacturing you know what other kinds of economies can we create in the country i totally love that and that's that's i think my favorite thing is that when you think about craft or you think about artisans that that you can like look far and look near at the same time and i love the fact that West Elm is doing that. Um, any plans for the holiday? For this holiday? This holiday, Thanksgiving. I'm going home to my native Georgia to be with my family. You're my second yes. Georgian. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> ask everybody to say where they're from because I yeah. thought I'd just keep a little map of where all my guests are from. And in the ten short episodes we've had, you're my second Georgian. Oh, nice. Okay. That's awesome. State, Thank so. you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find all of these things that we've talked about online? Yeah, look at, um, you know, I've written some posts on our, our blog, the um, West Elm blog. You can look at our website, um, westelm.com. westelm.com, you know, our catalogs. We have a whole kind of about us section that um, really details some of our work in handcrafted and in fair trade, um, you know, tells the stories of our, for example, our, our silk pillows. Um, and, you know, sign up to get our catalog as well. We have increasingly more content around the producers in that. And do you also have a YouTube channel? We have a YouTube channel, some amazing short videos on the collaboration with Whole Foods, the new denim project, um, you know, our, all of our work in artisan communities, some of the beading communities as well. So definitely check out the YouTube to hear more. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for tuning in to Heritage Radio Network, where you can find me each Monday live at 1 o'clock. You can always listen to Magnifico Radio on iTunes or Stitcher. And while you're there, maybe give us a rating. Check out our blog and sign up for our newsletter at Magnifico.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please email them to me at radio at Magnifico.com. Until next week. Thank you.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.